Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about leadership by design, improving ROI through integrity, alignment, and agency. My first guest is Paul Knapper. He leads a management psychology practice. He's also an author. His client list includes Fortune 500 companies, nonprofits, universities, and startups. Dr. Paul Knapper has held an advanced fellowship during a three-year academic appointment at Harvard Medical School, and we're talking about his new book, The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a Life on Your Own Terms. Paul, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Let's talk about the definition of agency because people will say, well, I think I know what that means, but what does it mean in reference to our own lives and self-determination? It's a great place to start. And agency, as it turns out, is not that familiar to most people. And what it refers to is it's a concept that has been studied by sociologists and psychologists and philosophers for decades more on the academic side. So if you don't know what it means, don't sweat it. It's fairly new to to the average person. But what it means is it's our capacity to make decisions in our lives for ourselves and take our lives then in the desired direction. So it's the capacity to make decisions and then act act on those decisions in our lives. So basically, we're being an agent and representative of our own best interests. That, that's exactly right. And and for people who are close to the entertainment industry, you know, everyone knows what a sports agent is or a literary agent or, you know, an actor's agent, you know, somebody who, who, who helps you, right? Somebody who guides you, helps you manage your career, helps negotiate contracts. You know, so it turns out we all have an, an agent within ourselves that we can activate to help us to advocate for our own selves. And agency gets at that idea. So it's this capacity to make independent, you know, decisions and then act with confidence on on those decisions. And so what we write about is there's a lot of things that get in the way of our ability to access that inner agent. I, I want to ask a question about that. Uh, and when we talk about things that get in the way of our own agencies, are you talking about thoughts and feelings? We're talking about a lot of things, but yes, thoughts and feelings are, as it turns out, we are, as humans, we're more emotional creatures than we are thinking creatures. So there's a lot of research that's been done over the last 30, 40 years on how we actually think as human beings, how we make decisions in our lives. So there's a lot of new ground to cover for, for people, I think, to get more familiar with with all of that. 
But, you know, we like to say that in so many respects, each and every one of us is the sum total of all the decisions we make over the course of our lives. And so how we make choices in our lives, which is, again, what agency is all about, becomes that all defining thing. And, and how we think, you know, patterns in our thinking, patterns in, in terms of our emotions, how we feel, how we make sense of our feelings, all of these things affect our level of agency. And when we talk about thoughts and feelings, although they are very much a part of what makes us up or contributes to our behaviors, they don't always contribute to the best decision making because they are not fact based. That's right. And, you know, we as humans, you know, how we generally think and make decisions is through intuition, which is shocking to to, to most people because most people think, well, I, you know, I don't think of myself as necessarily a, a highly intuitive thinker. But in fact, most of the decisions we make uh, are, are through what's called fast thinking. Uh, fast thinking is is more automatic. It's more, you know, again, more intuitive. Um, it's which is kind of rule of thumb, you know, just something feels a lot like something else. And so we're kind of off to the races making decisions for smaller decisions like, you know, what kind of vegetables should I you know, buy at the grocery store today? Um, you know, obviously, it's not so consequential. For larger decisions, more important life decisions, the capacity to think more logically for ourselves, I mean, to use, to fully use our reasoning skills as people, you know, becomes a lot more important. And what, what can happen is a lot of people um, haven't developed that skill, right? They haven't learned how to do the pivot from thinking more intuitively versus, you know, engaging in more, more of their critical reasoning. So some of our listeners might think, well, that just sounds a little woo-woo here when we're talking about the the intuition, you know, trusting the gut. But the research really backs up what you are saying. Absolutely. No, the research is clear. I mean, we, we have uh, several chapters in the book that delve into all of this. This is based on the research of uh, primarily of Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, you know, two very well-known psychologists who did a lot of research on how humans uh, use re reason and how they actually uh, make decisions. And so it's based on science. It's based on research. And what we try to do in our book is bring this down to earth so people can make, you know, practical sense of it and actually use these important research findings in their lives each, each and every day to make better decisions. So Agency plays a huge role in every area of our life, the way we partner, the way we parent, the way we perform at work. Talk a little bit about ways that one can strengthen agency. Well, you said it you know, very well. Our level of agency affects every aspect of our lives. It affects the quality of our work, uh, the quality of our relationships. It certainly has a direct bearing on our level of happiness. It, it, as it turns out, you know, it feels good to have agency, to use agency, to have access to our agency. I mean, you can think about agency as, you know, the sort of pathway to your own personal power and creativity in your life. So when it's blocked, when you feel stuck, you feel adrift, you know, you feel thwarted, it's not a good feeling. And what we found is a, a lot of people are in that, find themselves in that place today the word that keeps bubbling up is overwhelm, 
people feel overwhelmed so much more of the time today than ever before. And when you feel overwhelmed for extended periods of time, it by definition raises anxiety levels. And when anxiety level increases, you know, it compromises our capacity to, to think and reflect. So we have put together seven principles in the, our book, boiled it down to the, the absolute most essential things for people to focus on that help them to regain sort of a, a calm and centered footing in their lives so that they can better access their thinking skills and make better decisions and then obviously act with greater confidence and get get unstuck and, and also experiencing experience less overwhelm. Can you share those seven points? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll run through them kind of briefly. If you want to touch on any of them, we can come back to them. Yeah, definitely. The first one, they, they sound a little wonky. I mean, maybe a little because they're kind of they're sort of science based. I mean, the book is, again, it's, very, it's based on sound science and research. Um, the first principle is called we call control stimuli. So this is about you know controlling what gets into your brain, which is you know being a gatekeeper for yourself in terms of not allowing an excess amount of stimulation to enter your brain. The second principle we call associate selectively. This is about surrounding yourself with people who are encouraging, who are supportive people who help you learn new things, people who challenge you. The third principle we call move. Move is about taking care of your physical health. It's about in, ensuring that you engage in an appropriate amount of movement and activity, not, not necessarily just exercise, but just movement, physical movement in your life, that you eat healthy food, that you rest adequately, and that essentially you are taking care of the physical functioning of your body. The fourth principle, and then those first three, by the way, we call the behavioral principles. They're more about how you behave. And, you know, they involve choices you make about, about specific behaviors you engage in. The last four principles are we call cognitive principles. They involve how you think and how you process emotion. So the fourth one we call position yourself as a learner. This is about understanding better how you learn in your life. You know, everyone learns differently and some people learn better through some modes than others. So it's understanding better how you learn. And it's it's also about how to more actively position yourself to learn each and every day in your life. The fifth principle we call manage your emotions and beliefs. This is, <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> right. And this is one of the harder ones, <laughs> as you, as I know, you know. I know. <laughs> um, this, again, it's back to the whole idea. We are emotional creatures. How we manage our emotions and our beliefs becomes a really critical determinant to how much agency we have in our lives. So this idea of, of emotions can't be entirely controlled, but they actually can be managed. And, you know, the way to manage them is first, you know, obviously to identify uh, what I'm feeling, try and get a gauge on why I'm feeling it. And, and then thirdly, you know, what do I do with it? Do I, do I need to act on it? Do I need to just let it pass and fade away? You know, so this principle essentially focuses on, on self-awareness. Beliefs are something also that 
you know, how we how we as human beings develop beliefs, why we develop beliefs, what function it serves in our lives, and also how to utilize our beliefs to help us rather than hinder us. Because at certain times, beliefs become self-limiting. Yes. You know, beliefs are meant to up be updated as we learn more and grow as humans. A lot of times people don't know that. They don't update their beliefs frequently enough and, and, and consequently they're held back. So that's that's probably one of the most challenging of the seven principles. The final two principles, the sixth one we call check your intuition. So this gets into how you make use of intuition. We start with what intuition is, what it's not. A lot of people don't understand really what intuition is, right? I mean, a lot of people like you alluded to earlier, um, you know, think it's fluffy. It's like, what is it like uh, akin to astrology? Is it? Yes, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> like reading my horoscope every day. Well, no, actually intuition is a, a very important part of how we think. And if we understand what it is and how to access it and use it in the best ways in our lives, it can really improve the quality of, of the choices we make. The seventh and final principle we call deliberate, then act. The whole idea of deliberation is to reflect on something and also employ critical thinking skills. So critical thinking skills have been now defined as one of the most important skills of the 21st century. So our ability to use logic and reasoning as we make important choices, you know, just decisions that are going to have life changing effects on, on ourselves. Um, you know, this is a skill that we absolutely need for the 21st century. So this last final principle of agency goes into great length on how experts, other experts in fields where they're required to make important decisions, how they actually make those decisions and how you can learn from them. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Paul Knapper. We're talking about his new book, The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a Life on Your Own Terms. To learn more, please visit powerofagency.com. And on Twitter, you can connect with Paul Knapper at Dr. Paul Knapper. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Before we pause, let's talk about how much great food and happiness go hand in hand. Green Chef, one of today's beloved episode sponsors, continues to make my life a whole lot tastier and happier. Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit company delivering delicious and nutritious fresh seasonally sourced hearty chow direct to your front door. Green Chef makes eating well a snap with affordable plans to fit every lifestyle. Whether you follow a low-carbo, keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, or simply balanced meal plan, Green Chef has a healthy menu to satisfy your taste buds. Right now, I'm eating mostly plant-based to help boost my immune system and lower creeping blood pressure. My favorite Green Chef meal this week is Moroccan carrots and rice with shug, sautéed peas and radishes, cashew crema, and pistachios. Oh my gosh, this is a crowd-pleasing winner. I love the no-brainer convenience of Green Chef's pre-measured, portioned, and mostly prepped meals. They've taken the stress and mess out of cooking, giving me more time for fun and relaxation with my family. This makes me extra happy. Here's some other good news. 
Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh, another favorite show sponsor. This opens up bigger food horizons for our household and yours. Join me on Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Go to greenchef.com slash 90HH and use code 90HH to get $90 off, including free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash 90HH and use code 90HH to get $90 off, including free shipping. Now let's take that break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. We're back. But before we get back to it, let's talk about the most valued asset in any company the people we hire. Venture capitalist Jess Lee says companies are about the people. You can't do everything yourself, so you need to gather a team of smart, creative people and empower them. It's about picking your team and throwing out big challenges. Hiring smart and capable talent to help build your company is one of those things you do not want to mess up. You need to hire the right people if you want to take your business to the next level. And that's why I'm proud to partner with Indeed. Indeed Indeed.com is the number one hiring site in the world and will help you find the high impact hire you need, just like they have done for more than 3 million businesses. And Indeed will help you find quality candidates instantly with Indeed's instant match. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster. With Indeed, you only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Indeed searches through millions of resumes in their database to deliver you great candidates instantly. With Instant Match, you see a list of great candidates with zero wait. Who doesn't love instant service and instant gratification? Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore Total Visits. Want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash HH. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash HH. Indeed.com slash HH. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Now let's get back to it. And we're back, continuing the conversation with Paul Knapper about leadership by design, improving ROI through integrity, alignment, and agency. Let's get back to the discussion. So, Paul, we're talking about being agent self, like how we can be the best advocate for our own best interests, whether it's for ourselves, our families, or in our businesses, in our companies. Talk a little bit about how a high level of discernment, and I'm going back to the seventh point in this process, which taps into critical thinking, how discernment really is a requirement and how discernment is something that many of us lack. We could use a little strengthening of that emotional muscle. 
Absolutely. No, this is, this is a very important point. I mean, one of the things we, we talk about a lot in the book is that, you know, we, we all are trying to adapt to the demands our environment places on us. So whether we're talking about our family lives, our business lives, you know, whatever we do in our lives, there are demands around us that we are being required to adapt to. And the first order of business is to make sense of of those demands. What is occurring around me? Can I define it? Can I define it accurately? And can I then figure out what it's requiring that I do about it? So in business, what that essentially involves is, is the capacity to define reality and then to make discerning judgments based on what, what the reality is. So similarly in, in people's personal lives, making sense of what is happening and what you should do about it becomes an, you know, a very essential uh, matter of not just survival, but really a matter of how much happiness and fulfillment people have in their lives. And it's become more challenging to make sense of the environment that we all inhabit. You know, we, what we say in our book is you know, we're all in over our heads these days yeah, from a true. cognitive stand, from a cognitive standpoint there's so much information coming at us you know, it's kind of a cliche right now to, to say oh yeah we live in the information age but we do and what it means to live in the information age is that more and more information comes at us every day and it's our capacity to make sense of that and actually make discerning judgments that defines the quality of our lives, whether it's our personal life, whether it's our work life. So how we do that, you know, and we actually, one of the, one of the people we interview in this very last uh, chapter, the, the chapter on deliberate then act, uh, we interview a judge, uh, a woman who talks about a, a very difficult decision she had to make where she struggled to make a, a discerning judgment. It actually involved a trial that she was presiding over as the judge. And it was a murder trial. And there were all kinds of emotions whipping around and how she was able to, in the midst of all that pressure, make a discerning judgment, how, how she how she went about doing that is something that that all of us can learn from. Because, you know, there are people who make life and death decisions each and every day as part of their work. And we can learn a lot from those people because, you know, they have so much on the line that the quality of their judgments, you know, matters uh, so greatly that um, they've learned over time to uh, become better decision makers, to make more discerning judgments. So for, for, for all of us, this is, this is a really important thing. And, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot in our book about how do we do this? I mean, how do we put this into practice so that we can arrive at more discerning judgments? So Paul, talk a little bit about the judge's process of fine-tuning her own agency in her decision-making process. Because when you're talking about holding someone's life or death in your hands, in the case perhaps of a, of a murder trial, there must be some very interesting steps that she takes. Well, first of all, the decision that she needed to make in this case, in this trial, was whether to offer bail as a possibility. So to allow the person to be able to post bail and be released. In most murder trials, that's kind of unheard of. Most in most murder trials, people are not allowed 
to go out on bail. In this case, it was very complex because the woman who was being charged was a mother, a single mother with a child at home. And this judge knew, she knew that this was going to have profound effects not just on the woman being charged, but also on a young child. So she basically, how she went about trying to make a discerning judgment is she looked at precedent, you know, how frequently is bail you know, given to, to murder trial suspects. Second, she also surveyed the facts of the case. She, she got herself to a quiet place and really did a deep dive on all the known facts around this case to try to get a gauge on what is the you know what is the likelihood that this person is guilty of this crime and and how much look like ba- exists based on the facts secondly she surveyed other judges she talked to some other judges and got their thoughts and their impressions and their opinions um third she she gave <clears throat> thought as well to the prevailing environment it just so happened this trial was occurring in, in a, during a time in America where it was a real tough on crime, you know, kind of zeitgeist when, you know, there was a lot, you know, being written in the media about how important it was to be tough on crime. So she knew if she issued this woman bail, there may be a strong backlash. So she she kind of got her ducks in a row and she gave a lot of thought to all the most relevant variables. And she also checked her own emotion and she tried to prevent herself from being biased. So she's, you know, she was aware, uh, emotionally self-aware of the fact, hey, this woman being charged with murder um, is also a a woman, also a mother. and, And she understood, the judge understood she could relate very much to that person, but she also didn't want to allow any of those feelings to cloud her judgment. So she kind of weighed all of this, all of these factors, and she ended up coming to a decision to grant the woman bail. Uh, so the woman was able to to be out on bail and take care of her child while she awaited trial. And it turned out in the trial itself, um, you know, that the woman was acquitted of all charges. And she said she felt a really great sense of 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 relief, the judge at the end of the trial, because um, the prosecutor in the case, she said, made it very clear that he thought that justice had been served. And in, in other words, that this woman, this woman was, in fact, not guilty of having committed that crime. So, you know, but she made a decision, a, a tough decision that went against prevailing norms. So, you know, she made a discerning judgment that again was a tough decision to make because she knew she was going to get a lot of flack for it but she stuck to her guns she made the decision and at the end of the day she felt really good about the decision she made it's interesting because as you're telling the story uh, uh, the words that pop into my mind is that she went through a collaborative process to get to that agency in other words that she outsourced support you know, That's, she she approached it from several different angles, not just, oh, well, what is my gut telling me? The gut played into it after she had done her homework, after she had done the research. That's right. No, she used multiple levels um, of of intelligence here um, to both, you know, check on her intuition, but also um, use critical reasoning skills and, and, and really do a deep dive on all the actual known facts in the case. She reached out to other judges and, you know, trusted 
advisors to her and got some of their thoughts and their guidance. Um, And she also had a level of emotional awareness where she tried to check her own bias, right? Because yeah. she was she feeling just a, you know, a sense of, of identification with this, this younger woman who was on trial? And was that guiding her um, decision in the in, in the wrong way, because she identified with this person? So she tried to keep all of those things in check. And I think, again, what was so satisfying to her in this in this one particular case is that at the end of the day, it worked out really well. She she was able to make an independent decision on her own to grant bail and allow this woman to take care of her child. And ultimately, the woman was cleared of all charges. So obviously, she felt she made had made the best decision. Let's talk a little bit about how this translate to the translates to the personal level, because you you mentioned several times about the correlation of agency and happiness. And because, you know, the show is Harvesting Happiness, we probably need to kind of circle back to that, that what we tend to feel most happy when we feel most in charge of ourselves and our lives. That's exactly it. You, you know, you hit on that. And that's actually a very profound thought that you just stated there very, very simply and matter of factly. It turns out that when we have access to our agency, it feels really good. Yeah. <laughs> the reason for that is because, you know, we feel more confident and we feel more in charge and we feel more free uh, to act in, in our lives. So, you know, the whole idea of agency is developing the capacity to think more clearly uh, for yourself and make more independent choices, more independent decisions in your life that take your life in the desired direction, the direction that's most meaningful to you. And at the end of the day, all the research on happiness correlates to this idea of when when people feel they're doing something meaningful with their lives, they feel a much greater sense of happiness and fulfillment. So that's really at the end of the day, the gold standard is, am I doing with my life what feels most meaningful to me? Is it in accord with my values and my interests? Am I having fun? Am I feeling a sense of, of confidence that I can that I can take action in my life? Um, because when you do, the chances are you're feeling much happier. Dr. Paul Knapper, thanks for joining us on the show. To learn more about Dr. Knapper's work, please visit powerofagency.com. The book we were speaking of today is The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a Life on Your Own Terms. To connect with Dr. Knapper, please do so on Twitter at Dr. Paul Knapper. Paul, thanks for joining me on the show. Please come back and hang out with me. There's so much more to talk about. A terrific start to the discussion. And uh, thanks again. You asked great questions. Really, really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks. Let's take that quick pause. We'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. back 
continuing the conversation about leadership by design, improving ROI through integrity, alignment, and agency. My next guest is Philippe Pousseau. He has spent three decades in Silicon Valley as an entrepreneur, CEO, venture capitalist, and management consultant. He is co-founder and managing partner of Blue Dot Partners, LLC, a management consulting firm focused on top-line revenue acceleration for companies or business units with revenues between $10 million and $1 billion. We might be a little bit lower scale over here at Harvesting Happiness, Philippe, but nonetheless, aligning the dots is something that we can all use and take away with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Lisa. It is a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. I feel the same way. I feel that anytime we can highlight the good that people are doing to make this world a better place, you are, we're all the better off for it. Let's talk a little bit about aligning the dots, the new paradigm to grow any business. Obviously, your target market is a is a higher revenue market, but the theories apply to almost everything. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that is correct. I think that the the idea is to find a new solution to a problem that any entrepreneur, any business leader, any CEO, any board member, any investor is facing, which is what do I need to do on Monday morning at eight o'clock to grow the business faster? And growth is really critical because I believe that it's the only way to generate real and sustainable shareholder value. In fact, I actually don't know any other way. So growth is a matter of survival. And if your business is not growing faster than your market, then your competition is and you're losing market share and you're on a path to become irrelevant. So you're absolutely right that the concept of how to fix that problem, how to address that challenge applies to just an entrepreneur with an idea trying to figure out what to do all the way to businesses that have hundreds or billions of dollars in revenue. But it's the same concept. The only difference is that for a large business, you can measure things. You can put numbers and use analytics. For smaller business, you can't because there's not enough data to deal with. Well, when we talk about growth and how the philosophy of growth relates not just to happiness, but fiscal growth, that without being in that, in that state of dynamic change, I would argue, and I think you probably agree, that happiness or sustainable well-being or market share, being satisfied with one's market share is impossible. So it is that dynamic state that is essential in order for happiness to occur. Yeah, that is absolutely correct. Uh, in fact, life itself is not static. The universe is actually growing, it's expanding, and things are changing all the time. In fact, we as human beings are in a transient transition state where we're an unstable, you know, set of molecules and we are moving to a different state, which is death and after death. And so I think that the notion of things being static just doesn't exist. I mean, the world is changing all the time on the business and personal side. You have to adapt. And when I talk about and when I think about growth, it's more of an adaptation to that dynamics, to that change, more than just a 
relative number that has to go up, if you will. So when we talk about aligning the dots and the concept of growth in any marketplace or in one's life, what are some of the tools that we can apply to the process? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the big insight and really the secret that is revealed by this book and and by this concept is the notion that a business cannot achieve its growth potential if it is not fundamentally aligned with its target market. And and then people understand that intuitively. Then the next question is, well, what does that really mean? What does aligning my business or a business with its target market, what does that mean? And the key element of the book is that there are really four independent axes of alignment between any business and its target market. And let me describe them very briefly. The first one is that the pain of the customer and the claim that the business is making to address that pain, those two things have to be aligned. So if you come to me, Lisa, and you say, well, I have a headache and I show you a stomachache peel, well, your pain and my claim are not aligned. You will never buy my peel. The second axis of alignment is that the message, which is really the way the claim is expressed and the perception have to be aligned. So imagine I have a pill for your headache. It costs 99 cents. Your headache will be gone in 10 minutes. And I describe it to you in a language that you don't speak. Then you don't understand what I'm talking about. And you will never buy the pill, even though it's the perfect product for you. You just don't understand what I have, what I'm saying. That's the second axis. The third one is the way customers want to acquire and buy the product or the service. And the way that product or service is sold in the marketplace have to be aligned. So if I say, Elisa, I have your I have your peel, but you have to fly here to the Bay Area, you're gonna say, Well, wait a minute, you know, I'm here in LA. Why why <laughs> can't I just walk to the pharmacy and buy your peel? So that's the third axis. And then the fourth axis is actually my favorite one. I actually stole it out of the Apple playbook. So I had the good fortune to spend three years at Apple, and during the last one, I worked directly for Steve Jobs. And yes, that is how I lost my hair, in case you wonder. <laughs> but there is there is one key lesson that I learned from Steve, and it took me a while to understand this, but it's a very profound idea. I I came to the realization after working at Apple that there is only one single business on this planet. There is one business on this planet. And that unique business is the manufacturing and delivery of delight. When you Mm. buy a product, you have a certain delight expectation. And as you consume that product or that service, that expectation has to be met. There cannot be a misalignment between what you expect and what is delivered to you. And that's the fourth axis of alignment. So the four universal axis of alignment are the pain and the claim have to be aligned. The perception and the message have to be aligned. The purchase and the sale have to be aligned. And the expected delight and the offering have to be aligned. And if you align your business along those four independent axes, you will grow that business as much as possible within the market that the business is targeting. That fourth axis is it puts a smile on my face and in my heart, because I think at the end of the day, as human beings, we crave not so much happiness, you know, yes, we all want to be happiness, happy, but it's really the absence of the suffering that mm-hmm. we really are after. So mm-hmm. anything yeah. to make life a little bit less hard, more bearable, I think is what we're seeking. 
Yeah, and that's what people expect. And when that doesn't happen, when there's a misalignment, then they suffer and there is hardship and that's difficult. And this is counterintuitive, right? Because it, this is uh, sort of flies in the face of everything that we learn in textbooks and business school, business schools about the way business should be done. That's right. Yes. And I think that, you know, the reason I came up, the reason I wrote the book is, is to really open people's eyes on the notion that there is a new way to, to think about the challenge of growing. And the traditional methods, and I've been on 20 boards, I served on 20 boards, and it's very tempting and easy to say, well, we're not growing fast enough because the sales team is not doing its job. It's very easy to pin the issue on sales. And when that doesn't work, it's easy to pin the issue on marketing, saying, well, we're not, you know, we're not selling enough because we don't have the right leads. And then the marketing complains that the product is not exactly, you know, what the customer wants. So you blame it on product. And then the product guy comes and says, well, I built what I thought would be the coolest product on the planet. Nobody told me what to do. <laughs> and it's all this nonsense, you know, that really doesn't address the fundamental question on what is it that we need to do. Now, if you look at the problem through the four lenses that I described, the four axes, then suddenly you don't, it's not about marketing. It's not about sales. It's about those four alignments. And you look at it very, very differently. And by looking at it differently, you can now solve the problem in a very effective way. Talk a little bit about your background beyond your three years at Apple, because I think the story is very interesting as to how you got here. Yeah, I, I you know, I came to Silicon. I'm, I'm French. I'm European, was born and raised in Europe, um, moved a lot in Europe because my dad was in the military. But I spent 30 years here in Silicon Valley. I've always been fascinated by technology and software and computers. Um, and the only place, in my opinion, to be about this is, is here in, in the Valley. Um, I am really an entrepreneur at heart. I, 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 I think having ideas is great, but I think transforming those ideas into a business, into something tangible and real is a lot more interesting. And what I realized is that that, that journey is really, really hard. It is very hard to build a successful business. Um, it is not glamorous. There is a lot of ups and downs, a lot of disappointments. You have to have a very high level of belief and conviction and tenacity. And it's this journey that I'm fascinating with. So I, I studied businesses. Some of them were very successful. Others were miserable failures, which is the one that allowed me to learn. And, you know, I served on 20 boards. I was a venture capitalist in two uh, early stage firms. I invested about $43 million and generated uh, double digit returns. And I really love to help entrepreneurs. I, I, I would take any entrepreneur. Somebody wants to start an ice cream truck, you know, in LA, I'd, I'd be happy to try to help. I think that I want to support and give back. I've been very lucky. I've had, you know, great mentors and I learned a lot and I just, you know, want to support any entrepreneur because I think it's a fascinating journey. And it's a journey that never stops. And it's a journey that failure is really the the way you can move things forward and, and change and adapt. And the other thing is that it's unpredictable. So I have a PhD in nonlinear physics in, in chaos theory. And one of the things <laughs> that chaos theory tells you is that you cannot predict. In fact, you can prove that you cannot predict the outcome of a nonlinear system under the right conditions. Uh, and the weather system is, is a good example of that. And, and the, the uh, equity market is another example. 
And one thing I know is that you can start a journey of entrepreneurship with the best intention, with a clear idea, good alignment, and then the market is changing and dynamics and, you know, you have to adapt and you cannot predict. I cannot look at an entrepreneur in the eye and say, yeah, you'll be successful or you won't be successful. I have no idea. And that's because, you know, everything is dynamic. Everything is changing back to the earlier point we talked about. Well, it's interesting. You, you talk about chaos theory in your education and about helping entrepreneurs. And I want to just circle back to the theme of this show and what we've been doing here. This show has been on the air for 10 going on 11 years. And mm -hmm. when we first started the show, people said to me, you're doing a show about what? You know, even though positive psychology was very much, you know, a la mode at the time, um, everybody was researching and writing about it, but to create a brand that is focused on happiness, for example, even though it's the, probably one of the most prized emotions that a human can experience was met with skepticism. So, mm -hmm. you know, when we use your example and, and, and your, your theory or philosophy here, you know, being counterintuitive is often what is required, you know, to be, uh, following your own intuition you know, to kind of go quietly within and talking about the four basic coordinates that you speak of, right? You know, how do we serve the need of the consumer? Sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm going to be quiet. No, I, I, think, I think you're making a really good point. I think that the counterintuitiveness of approach is really critical. In fact, if you study the most amazing physicists and why they made progress and what we made so much progress, you will find out that they came up with concepts that sounded really crazy and, and totally counterintuitive. I mean, Einstein is probably the best example. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the first and the second uh, uh, theory of relativity. And it's a very, very difficult, very counterintuitive. When you think about the particle being at two different places at the same time, you say, well, how is that possible? It, it turns out that that's the way the world actually works. And so you're right. It, it's like, coming with a whole new perspective. And, and I'm hoping that this book will bring that new perspective that, that people didn't have before. And at the same time, it's very common sense. It, it's a very pragmatic book. It's not about theory. It's a, there's 20 case studies. It's a very actionable book. Let's, um, um, Philippe, let's jump off for a break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation about your book, Aligning the Dots, The New Paradigm to Grow Any Business. My guest that we're speaking with today is Philippe Buissou. To learn more about Philippe's work and the book, please go to AligningTheDots.com. Once again, that's AligningTheDots.com. And you may find him on Twitter at ph. Buisu, and that's B-O-U-I-S-S-O-U. -S -S Here comes the pause. We'll be right back, and that is a guarantee. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more.
we're back talking with Philippe Rousseau about leadership by design, improving ROI with integrity, alignment, and agency. Let's get back to the conversation. Philippe, talk a little bit about the accumulation of 30 years experience and how you put this book together as case studies to serve not only larger companies, but sort of people like me and our listeners, maybe solopreneur, ent- smaller entrepreneur, or a mompreneur seeking to realize some vision or dream. Yeah, I think that um, the, the the four alignments that we talked about earlier are really applied to any business. And, and one of the key takeaway of, of the book is that it's, it's a very universal notion. So I can take a cafe on the left bank in Paris, or I can take a, you know, a small company in LA, or I can take a large company. It doesn't really matter how large the company is, what the company does, where it's located, what types of customers it actually serves. The four alignment principle applies. You have to align your business along those four axes. Um, and as I pointed out earlier, is that the difference between a large business and a small business is, is that in the case of a large business, you can actually measure the coefficient of alignment from zero to 100 percent because you have enough customer, you have enough data in a small business or just a concept. You cannot measure it, but you really have to think about the four alignments, because if you are not misaligning, if you are not aligning the business from the very early phases of that business, then the business will not grow as quickly and as fast as it could. So really, we're called to use our vision. It's one thing to say, I want to start a business. Okay. Maybe you have a product or a widget in mind. Okay. But without sort of a technicolor vision of what we want to do with that product or the good that we can affect in the world with that product, we're less likely to succeed. That's correct. Now, having said that, if you ask yourself about the four alignments, that will actually help crystallize what the business actually is. Because if you think about it, you said, okay, I'm going to sell, I have this widget idea in my head. The first question is, well, what pain are you solving? Well, if you can't really crisply answer that question, then you need to think about, you know, maybe the idea is not that great. Maybe there is no pain. It's just a vitamin kind of approach. Uh, maybe there is not enough people who have the pain, so the market size is too small. But you, but if you really, I would, I would encourage anybody who listens and who wants to grow or to start a business to run the business through the four axes, and that will answer and unearth a lot of questions, and it will help the entrepreneur really better define and crystallize, you know, the business. And at this point, I think that we are in a laboratory that is pregnant with possibility for a whole tribe of new businesses to come to the fore. I mean, the world has been upended by the last year. And in that chaos, you know, when you talk about chaos theory, right, there is the opportunity for so much explosive growth. That's correct. I think any change in the marketplace is an invitation for entrepreneurship and new ideas and new concept and a redefinition of the way people do business or live their lives. And so, you know, those difficult moments like the pandemic is, is a blessing and a curse, obviously a curse because it's a terrible thing. 
But the blessing, I think, or the positive side of it, if you want to look at this this way, is that it's, it's all those opportunities that is bringing and the realization that, yes, I can actually conduct my business differently. I don't have to be on a plane and meet people all the time and really forces people to change. And, and I think that's going to be a, a positive dividend when we look back you know, on that period of time a few years from now. Do you think that the last year has forced the business world to become more humanistic? I don't know. I, I'm certainly hoping for it. And the reason I'm hesitating is because on one level, the suffering, the realization that we're all equal in front of that disease and that, that terrible virus, you know, makes us more human. On another level, because we're using Zoom and we are further apart physically, that makes things more difficult. I don't know, but I, I sure hope that, that it will. I'm hopeful as well. I mean, I'm hopeful that um, there's a place for soul in the business world. Mm -hmm. For me, that's what I'm, what I'm sensing, you know, uh, uh, and also the ability to reevaluate the way we do business, the way we show up, you know, some of those funny commercials with uh, the businessman or woman who's got, you know, the, the business attire on from the waist up and from the waist down, right. it's sweats. Right. And then the background is complete chaos. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> No, that's very true. That's very true. You know, it's reflective of of our existence these days. Yeah. And I think you're touching upon an important point. Those four alignments that I described, which is really the alignment between the business and its target market. There is actually a fifth dimension. There's actually a fifth alignment, which is really, really important. And the last chapter of the book is talking about that, which is the internal alignment. So if the team behind the company is not aligned, meaning that they have a common sense of purpose, they have a sense of what the objectives are, they have a sense on how the execution will happen. If that team is not aligned, then the execution of the four alignments will not happen and the, and the business will not grow. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping that I do not believe that a company can be sustained if it doesn't have a real and honest and, and authentic purpose. So it's possible that this crisis we are living now will make people, you know, take a pause and say, okay, well, what is, why are we really doing this? What's the purpose of this business? Why am I doing this? And to the extent that they can come with a good answer to that question, that will really help on the internal alignment. And without that, the company is not going to grow as fast. They won't execute the external alignment. We're nearly out of time. And I wanted to touch upon the delightfulness journey, which is, you know, towards the, the last quarter of the book, you, you write about a six-step process. And I really urge our listeners to get a hold of the book and become more familiar with these four axes. But you talk about discovery, usage, maintenance, support, upgrade, and disposal. And this mm -hmm. is the six-step delightfulness journey. And I think this is really relevant because if we're not creating delight in the products that we make, whatever that might be, the widget, the process, whatever it is, um, we are falling short. Yes, and, and the six-step pro process is really the process by which anyone would interact with a product or a service. And in some businesses, those steps are more or less important. So for example, disposal, 
you know, if I sell uh, a, a dangerous chemical component, the disposal of that component is critical. If I sell a service where I give advice, well, the disposal is less of a big deal because if a customer is not delighted, he or she will go somewhere else. And the transition from my business to this other business, the disposal of my business is not going to be an issue. It's just a simple process. Uh Um, But but those six steps are universal. They they apply to any business as well. And and that's described the interaction between the customer and the business and and the product or the service. At your website, and that that website, I'm going to give it again, is aligningthedots.com, you offer a quiz. There is a free report uh, that will show you your business alignment score. And Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty cool. So I want to offer that to our listeners. And I I think this process is so interesting because it scales in, in all directions. And I thank you for writing the book. And it's quite a lovely book inside as well. Um, to learn more about the work of Philippe Buissou, please visit that website again, aligningthedots.com. On Twitter, that handle is at PHBuissou, and that's B-O-U-I-S-S-O-U. Philippe, thanks for joining me on the show. Please come back and share more. Oh, thank you, Lisa. It was a pleasure, and I wish you the best. And uh, thank you again for having me on your great show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day and stay safe. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests, Paul Knapper and Philippe Bousseau, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.